0: Good morning again. Children, four years through sixth grade, those of you that like to, you can go on back to KWC Junior at this time. No doubt you guys will have a great time back there with Miss Burt. And uh, parents, grandparents, you can pick them up after service in room six. Well, we are in a, a series called Ugly Christmas Sweater. We'll look to finish this series up next sunday morning and uh and then we'll transition sunday night we'll have a christmas eve service looking forward to that always a special time we'll have communion we'll have a candlelight service that we'll end with and we're also going to have as of this morning special music by priscilla so uh looking forward to that great time next sunday night six o'clock hope you can join us for both services Next Sunday at 11, and then next Sunday night at 6, we will have something special for all of our children and teens in the morning service next week at the conclusion of the morning service next Sunday. And so hopefully you'll be able to b- join us for that next week. Today we will continue our, our study, our, our look into Scripture as we talk about being in ugly, sweat, ugly Christmas sweater, or I should say, not being an ugly Christmas sweater all in favor of wearing Christmas sweaters, wear them. Have fun with it. Like Ron over here, sporting the cow with his uh, twin back there, um, Kyle. Awesome, love it, good to see. But like I've said before, I'm going to say it again, wear one, don't be one. So in week one, we looked at the ugly Christmas sweater of unbelief and how our lives get ugly when we don't believe in the power and the promises of God. Last week, we looked at how life really gets ugly when we envy what other people have. When we resent God's goodness in their lives and we overlook His goodness in our own. Life gets ugly. And we need to embrace the peace that can be ours by trusting in him, in his presence and in his provision. Ugly Christmas sweater that we're going to talk about today is famously represented by two characters that are pretty well known this time of year, and two characters that have both been played, both been portrayed by Jim Carrey. Any idea who I'm talking about? Scrooge and the Grinch, right? You got Ebenezer Scrooge from the A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. You got the Grinch from How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. And uh, he played both of these characters. Happened to see a quote, just a little side note. Happened to see a quote that said how ironic it was that he uh, portrayed both of these characters that were known for hating Christmas because he too hates Christmas interesting that somebody would just come out and say that he didn't I didn't at least in what I read he didn't say why he hates christmas i don't know if he hates christmas for the, for the same reasons that these two hated christmas but what are these two known for what do they have in common they're both known for being greedy and there's no doubt no one i think would argue the fact that if you're familiar with each of these stories that as the story goes until right up until basically the end of the story that they lived ugly lives. Would we agree with that? That Scrooge and the Grinch (laughs) not (laughs) just look kind of ugly here, but they were, if you would, an ugly Christmas sweater. Their lives were marked By ugly. And I don't think anybody would argue that we get ugly when our lives are marked by greed. And as we'll see today, when our lives are marked by greed, not only do we get ugly, but we lack and demonstrate a lack of true wisdom and understanding of God's ways, and we miss out on the joy that could be ours. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Bible or a Bible app, be able to follow along. If you're grabbing a KWC Bible, you can turn to page 737. Hopefully you grabbed a bulletin on your way in, or if you're joining us online, you can access the online bulletin, be able to kind of see the notes and follow along accordingly and uh, write down some things. If you, if you don't have a bulletin, I certainly would encourage you, go ahead and get up. That's, it's okay. It's permissible. Go ahead and grab one. There should be some either on the table behind the middle row or out on the lectern as you, uh, right by the front doors. But love for you to be able to follow along. I think there are some great things that the Lord has for us. Some things that I provided there in the notes for you to be able to fill in uh, some blanks, but there's going to be some other things, no doubt. Whether I say them or not, that God wants to speak into your heart and life today, and it might be helpful to just be able to jot that down. Or maybe if you want to just open up your phone And go to the notes on your phone and be able to follow along and write some things down as the Holy Spirit directs. That could be helpful to whatever serves you best. But let's begin by looking at Luke chapter 12. We'll pick it up in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's interesting to me that Jesus finds himself in the same position that many of us have found ourselves, whether as a parent or as a leader in some kind of position where somebody comes and says, tell them to share. Right? And what's Jesus' response? Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Like, leave me out of this mess. Like, There's almost nothing worse than getting involved in family business and a family argument over money, no less. And here's one of the sad realities that I've seen. In one of the most times that that should be drawing a family together, the loss of a loved one, I've often seen it become one of the things that draws a family, pulls a family, tears a family <sighs> torpedoes a family apart. Fighting over stuff. I see how it happens. I can understand how it happens. And I want to just say leave me out of this. <laughs> don't 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 include me in This mess. I want to have the same attitude that Jesus has right here. And Jesus says, lead me out of that, right? Because this is this just gets it just gets ugly. He continues. He said to them, Watch out. Watch out. Here's a warning. Be alert. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Here's a definition of greed, just so we're all on the same page this morning. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. Some of you maybe can uh, identify with this statement. It goes like this. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I had it first, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If you put it down, it's mine. If I put it down, it's still mine. If it's broken, it's yours. It's interesting that mine is one of the first words that most children learn to say. No and mine. Some of the first two words, right, parents? Mine. Wait a minute, you dirty little brat. Spawn of mine? (laughs) That's not yours, that's mine, right? And here we go. We're all saying it. Steve Deneff, a a pastor and author, happens to be a Wesleyan pastor, somebody that I respect a lot. Um, He challenges me in in deep ways with his writing. He wrote a book several years ago. On the seven deadly sins, he called it seven saving graces, living above the seven deadly sins. And in it, he, he wrote about greed, and he gave seven different ways that greed can show up in our lives. I'd like to go ahead and share that list quickly with you today and see if you can identify any of the seven in your life now it may not necessarily mean you are yes in fact scrooge or the grinch if you check one of or two of the seven of these boxes depending on how bad that really is but may we hear the holy spirit just whisper a warning watch out first one that pastor steve gives is a preoccupation with money and so he goes on to talk about if your job or career path is decided based upon the kind of remuneration what kind of what kind of pay package goes along with that job that may be an indication of greed along with that if you're always checking on your checking account That may be an indication. There's a preoccupation with money. The second one that he lists is compulsive spending. So you're buying things because you're bored, depressed, or simply because it's on sale. Am I stepping on toes yet? If not, how about this one? Hoarding. Buying or collecting more than you need. I'm not going to point out anybody because it would just simply be in fun, but it came up, hoarding came up last Sunday after most people had left, and a couple of people were left, and they were talking about the need to maybe go through some of their stuff and get rid of some things and, and all of that, but buying and collecting more than you need. The the fourth one that he lists, conspicuous consumption, setting yourself apart by what you can afford. So you don't need a car with all the bells and whistles, but you buy one anyway, it, it, whether it's a car or something else, you, you don't really want to toot your own horn, but it's a way of tooting your own horn. Look at what I drive. Look at what I wear. Look at what I have. Look at the house that I have. Compol- or, um, cons- hoarding or conspicuous consumption, excuse me. Uh, the next one, miserly living. This is where the Scrooge definitely comes in. You pinch pennies, even though you've got a lot more than pennies but very, very frugal, very frugal, right, miserly living. Next one that he gives is overspending. The way Dave Ramsey has said it is spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. It reminds me of of a girl that was telling her boyfriend, "My, my mom's only happy when she's buying things, when she's spending money, She went shopping every day until the thieves stole her credit card. And the boyfriend asked, well, did your dad report it? And she said, no. The thieves were spending less than my mom was. The last one that Pastor Steve gives is improbable risk. So, sinking money in like the lottery, gambling, or other get-rich-quick schemes. seven different ways that might indicate that we have an issue with greed let me be clear jesus isn't against us having things i don't th- even think that jesus is against us or that there's anything wrong with us having nice things i think ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 18 and 19 in the old testament i think matthew chapter 7 verse 11 in the new testament among some other passages, um, say as much. However, the Bible is very clear in warning us when we make life about things, how ugly it gets and how misguided we are. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12, shall we? Then he, again, this is Jesus speaking, said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Don't get it twisted. When you make life about things, you fall into the trap that more is better. And so we, we buy into this lie that if we want a better life, we have to have more stuff. Here's something that's not in your notes, but you might want to write this down. Here's some truth. When your life is more about things, your life becomes less of a thing. I'm going to say that again. When your life is more about things, your life becomes less of a thing. We'll pick it up, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself and all the ladies know exactly where this is headed even if they don't know exactly where it's headed because you've all had your husbands come to you and say well i thought and like well there's your problem he thought to himself, guys how many of you would acknowledge yep that's oftentimes where things went off the rails I didn't consult anybody else. I thought I knew what I needed to know. Am I the only one, really? One other brave soul? One other person that's willing to be honest this morning? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this actually doesn't sound like a bad idea at all. This actually could fit into what we talked about several months ago as we looked at the book of Proverbs and God's wisdom for life and and God's wisdom particularly for finances And we learned about the principle of give, save, live. That in God's word, there is wisdom in saving. That the proverb writer looks at God's creation. The insects, the animals that God has created and how they store things away for winter. And that there's wisdom there. So understand this. This parable is not against responsible financial decisions. This this parable is not against planning for a retirement. Let's look at what this parable is actually going after. But God said to him, verse 20, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The problem wasn't that he was looking at retirement. The problem is not that he was trying to be faithful and, and make sure that he could have something later in life, and so that he wouldn't be a burden to others. The problem is that he's looking at what he can do, and it's, it's his, and his, his identity and his security is in stuff, and the accumulation of more and more and more stuff. Instead of, I have what I need, god has been good to me how can i be a blessing to others first timothy chapter 6 the apostle paul picks up on this idea as the holy spirit directs him he writes these words first timothy chapter 6 verse 9 those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful there's the word that we just saw that Jesus said in the parable about the the farmer, fool, somebody that doesn't really know everything, somebody that's missing information. And we fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And just pause there and make sure that we understand what Scripture is saying, what it's not saying. It does not say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is evil. Money is amoral. Money money is not bad. Money is not good. It's amoral. It's what you do with money. It's how you look at money that determines whether or not things are right or wrong. So Paul writes, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's why Jesus talked about money a lot, and he told us, he taught us that you can only have one master, and money is a horrible master, but that's what a lot of people look to make as their master. And so Paul writes, and he says, some people, for that love of money, it's led them astray, it's led them away from serving the lord and it leads to many griefs you think of all the different broken relationships one of the number one causes top causes for divorce is money we already talked about and jesus began this parable because of a problem between two brothers right Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And what kind, of a, what kind of griefs, what kind of problems the love of money, the chasing of money can do. So verse 17, he continues, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I'm going to just pause there. Because this makes me think of something that Paul also wrote in Acts chapter 20, in verse 35, Paul writes and he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, and then he quotes Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's something I want us to understand, receiving from the Lord is good. When Jesus says, and Paul quotes in Acts, it's more blessed to give than to receive, it's not saying that there's not a blessing in receiving. Receiving from the Lord is good. We talked about last week the importance of celebrating God's goodness in our own life. We should do that. We need to be aware of how good God has been to us. And we see in Scripture the idea of enjoying what we have, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's good to receive, but it's important that we keep the words in mind that Jesus said, but it's more blessed to give. It's great, it's awesome to receive, but it's even better to give. And that's what Paul is going to continue to add on and say as, he, as we pick it up in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way, here it is, in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And then verse 20 says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Here's what I believe is the application. Our takeaway for today. Embrace the beauty of the joy of generosity by understanding God's wisdom and ways. I'm going to kind of expand on that a little bit and talk about God's wisdom in a few different areas. Number one, true life is found in the Savior, not in stuff. When we look at the wisdom of, of God, in understanding how we can have joy, we have to understand that true life is found in the Savior, not in stuff. People become greedy because they think that somehow things will equal joy. And here's what you find. You can look at A lot of of different ones, different ways that people have asked the question, but in the end, it's always more. What do you need to do, what do you need to have to to be happy? More. More. What do you need to have to feel secure? More. How much money do you have to make before you're rich? More. More. If you make thirty thousand, it's sixty thousand. If it's sixty thousand, it's one hundred twenty thousand. Like it's always more, right? God's wisdom. True life is found in the Savior, not in stuff. January third, nineteen fifty-six. Jim Elliot and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador. The people that they were going to were known to not be friendly towards outsiders whatsoever but Jim and his friends felt like God had called them to share the joy of Jesus with this unreached tribe nobody on this island knew Jesus, had heard about Jesus and certainly none of them were serving Jesus lands on the island notoriously dangerous tribe because God had called them and because he belonged to God. And he wanted them to experience what he had experienced. And so he felt like there was no other choice but to obey God and take the good news to every nation. So they landed on January 3rd. By January 8th, all five men were found dead had been killed by that tribe, and one of them was missing. And they found Jim Elliott's diary, and at one point he had wrote these words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you follow the story, and maybe you've seen the movie, know the story, Jim's wife, and the, wife of the other, wives of the other men that were killed ended up going to that same island to minister to those people, and they led the majority of the island to Christ. But it wasn't without sacrifice, but they knew God's wisdom. True life is found in the Savior, not in stuff. The second thing that I'd, I think is important for us to understand when we talk about God's wisdom is that we are stewards, not owners. This is the lesson, I think, that the farmer needed to learn. Do you get to take anything with you into heaven, into eternity? Uh, The old saying, never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse? You don't get to take anything with you. And that was what the Lord was pointing out in this parable about the, the farmer. You can't take it with you. Why can't you take it with you? There's no airplane, okay? It doesn't fit in the carry-on. <laughs> it's material, right? We're spiritual beings and it's material. So, you know, material things don't go to heaven. Stuff don't, doesn't go to heaven. Like, stuff doesn't get saved, okay? Okay, that's one, that's, one of the, that's one reason, and certainly that's a good reason, a logical reason. You know why you can't take things to heaven? Because it's not yours to take. It's not yours to take. True wisdom understands that we are stewards, not owners. 1 Timothy ends the passage that we read, says, Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Now, certainly, Paul is concluding this letter to Timothy, and he's speaking about everything that he has been talking about when he says to take care of what's been entrusted to his care. that that he's talking about his, his responsibilities as a pastor, his responsibility to be faithful to the Word of God. Surely he's talking about all of that, but we can't take away the context of where that verse is, not just in the grand context of 1 Timothy, but in the context of where it's actually located when it's just been talking about finances and being rich toward God. And as we look at Paul's life Paul understood that he was a steward, not an owner, that everything belongs to God. And when you see yourself as a steward, not an owner, you ask different questions. You ask different questions. You don't really ask, How much do I need? Because you trust that the one who owns it all will provide. You don't ask, should I give to the church or not? Because you know God's already given an answer, right? You don't ask other questions, but you do ask, what would Jesus do? You do ask, how can I honor him in this? How can I serve the needs of others with this. Uh, Another thing that we see with God's wisdom is that receiving is good, giving is better. I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to expand on that too much, but just know this, receiving is good, giving is better. But why is giving better? Because it helps to guard our hearts against idolatry. Idolatry is when we place anything in the place of God. Giving helps go against that. It's when, When our identity and our security are in things, giving helps to combat against that. And then finally, we'll talk about God's ways. Ultimately, we just need to know this. God is a giver. It's who He is, and it's what He does. Most famous verse in the world, John three sixteen. Say it with me. For God so loved, we'll talk about that next week. For God so loved the world He, he gave. gave. He gave. He gave. And what did He give? Who did He give? His only Son. It's who he is, it's what he does. He's a giver. So we need to embrace the beauty of the joy of generosity by understanding God's wisdom in ways. Let me make this a little more practical. I'll give you three things very quickly. Number one is go-go. Go-go. Here's what go-go means. Get one, give one. Get one, give one. You get a new shirt, you give away a shirt. You get a new pair of pants, you give a shirt. You give away a pair of pants. You get a new pair of underwear. Wait a minute. (laughs) So maybe not with everything, but a general principle. We're going to fight against, we're going to go against this accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. More, 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 more is better. I'm going to say, here's enough. God's provided. I have, I've been blessed, now let me be a blessing. Get one, give one, whether it's somebody gives it to you or you buy it yourself. You get one, you give one. I think that's pretty practical. Now, that's not entirely biblical. It's not something that I'm pulling from today's passage of Scripture, but I think it can be helpful. Let me go more biblical, though, shall we? Number two, tithe. Number one's optional. Number two, not optional. Not if we really want to follow the ways of the Lord, not if we really want to experience the joy of the Lord in our heart and in our life and in our family. So what is tithe? Very quickly, tithe is a very specific amount, but here's the thing. It's a different amount for you than it is for me. A tithe is 10%. It's a very specific amount. You look at the word that's used in Scripture, very specific, it means 10%. It doesn't mean ish, it means 10%. Well, why do we pay a tithe? Because tithe helps go against our natural inclination to become greedy. Our natural inclination to see the things of the world and to seek to find Joy and peace and hope in the things of the world, and a tithe as a reminder that that's not where we get it. If you happen to have currency with you, American currency with you, it says some words on there. In God. We trust. A tithe is a reminder that in God you trust. A tithe is a reminder that you're a steward, not an owner, that it all really belongs to Him anyway. The third thing is that we share Jesus. The idea of generosity, giving, isn't just about material and providing for others material needs etc but that we give the greatest gift that we look to share the gift that really matters we look to share the gift that changes lives for an eternity that we look to share Jesus that's That's why the shepherds were so excited in our introductory passage, lighting the candle that reminds us of the joy of Christmas. The angels were brought the message. Do you remember scripture from this morning earlier? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Why? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Here's the awesome thing about number three. Sharing Jesus is is the thing that you can share and share and share and never lose, never miss out. In fact, what I have found is the the more I share the joy of Jesus, the more the joy of Jesus I have. The, The more that I look to tell others about God's goodness in my own life, the more fulfilled I am in Christ. The the shepherds were told about this great joy and they celebrated in that, but what did they do then? They went and visited Jesus and they were excited, but then they went and told others about Jesus. They shared Jesus. When you share joy, you never lose. You never lose it. Let me give you one final thought. Jesus brought joy to the world, because the world can't give it. I mentioned Jim Elliot's diary early, diary earlier. Let me go back to that. Last words that he wrote: "I walked out to the hill just now. It is exalting, delicious, to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree, with the wind tugging." At your coattail in the heavens, healing your heart. To gaze and glory and give oneself again to God. What more can a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I cannot, if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him, please him. Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of children. Converts that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies, whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, touch his garments and smile into his eyes, ah then, not stars nor children shall matter, only himself. O Jesus, master and center and end of all, How long before that glory is yours, which has so long awaited you? Now there is no thought of you among men. Then there shall be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised. Then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven. Take your crown, subdue your kingdom, enthrall your creatures." Jim Elliot embraced the joy that is found in generosity by releasing his grasp on everything else. We're going to close by singing the song, the familiar Christmas tune, Joy to the World. If you're familiar with the tune, you know that it has in these words, has in it these words, let every heart, what? Prepare him room. Let me ask you as we close this morning. Is there room in your heart for him? Or is it filled with stuff? The love of stuff? Is there some things that need to be decluttered in your life today? And I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. to prepare your heart, to prepare him room. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. You have blessed us in so many ways. But the most important blessing is the blessing of yourself. This Christmas season... May we be aware of all your blessings, but most importantly, may we be aware of and recipients of your greatest blessing, yourself. May we prepare room in our hearts for you. May we not lean on the the things of this world and look to the things of this world to try to bring us joy because it can't, not the joy that you offer. And so, Father, may we know the joy of the Lord, and may that joy be our strength. I pray this in and for your name, amen. Stand with me, if you're able, as we worship the Lord through seeking.